Welcome back. Monday, May 1st, 2023. David Dahl, it's good to have you back in the uh, Commander's Palace in the Commander's Chair over there. Uh, we missed you Friday, um, but you are out doing good stuff. Uh, I believe uh, I was told you were at uh, a commencement. Uh, not yours, but someone else's, if I'm not mistaken. My sister's. Your sister. Well, congratulations to her. And... Um, I'm going to do my commencement speech. Uh, I do an annual one I th- on radio. I think we'll do it Friday. I think that's that's a good idea, a good day for it. Uh, did you hear any good commencement advice at your sister's commencement speech? Did anyone give any clever bonds mot or anything like that, uh, anything to take with you that was memorable? A lot of these things come and go pretty quickly, and it's hard to remember. <clears throat> the things are ephemeral, but I wondered if you, you might have noted or remembered anything from... Don't Why be afraid is, of failing. Don't be afraid of failing, yeah. Failure's a great teacher. I, there's versions of that in my usual commencement address, address, too. We learn more from failure. I mean, we don't want it, but we do tend to learn more from it, don't we? Let me talk about May 1st. It's not such an innocent day. At least it was made non-innocent. May Day. The data is not related to the internationally recognized distress call of May Day. You know, Mayday, Mayday, which comes from the French, my death, help me. But perhaps a propinquity should be recognized, help us. Perhaps the first hint about all this is that Karl Marx's daughter, Eleanor, was the featured speaker at the very first Mayday celebration in America, which was in Chicago, which was in 1890. About 23 years later, The famous socialist Rosa Luxemburg gave a speech there lamenting the goals of the socialists had not been, in other words, the end of capitalism had not been met. Among other things, she said at that speech, quote, the brilliant basic idea of May Day is the autonomous, immediate stepping forward of the proletarian masses, the political mass action of the millions of workers who otherwise are atomized by the barriers of the state in the day-to-day parliamentary affairs, who mostly can give expression to their own will only through the ballot, uh, through the election of their representatives. Close quote. You do see here, I hope, the idea of socialism, even its seemingly innocuous American versions, the idea has little patience for elections and democracies. It is this disdain for democracy, the choice and empowerment of people, that best explains what Marxists and socialists really want, which is no, not as democracy or even democratic socialism, but a dictatorship of the proletariat. It is described by Marx in the, in the Communist Manifesto as, quote, ends only attainable by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions, close quote. So in a weird way, maybe we don't really need a May Day. And Rosa Luxemburg's hopes and dreams have been achieved far beyond what she could have dreamed as far back as 1913. The first indication of this is not the normalization and indeed sacralization of Marx, socialism and communism in our politics and culture, but rather the lack of reticence about it all. There used to be a subversive, quiet and concealed, almost shame-filled effort about Marxism here. Uh, shh, uh, don't say the quiet part out loud element to it all, a shushing. Now it's just out in the boisterous and conspicuous and shameless open. Speaking of 
a shame to it all. It's gone, too, in the things we used to see the most shame about, like sexualization. And now with the sexualization of our youth, the dampers and mutes, the concealments are not only gone, it's being argued for and publicly demanded in an effort to try and shame those who stand against it. Consider the campaign that runs from The View on ABC to Gavin Newsom's speeches and tweets to the New York Times on the kinds of books they think children should have access to and be taught in elementary school. Those who object to pornographic materials in elementary school are anti-teaching, anti-everything, and the books themselves are promoted as some kind of great literature that the new Neanderthals, us, want banned from society. The New York Times, for about the umpteenth time this weekend, did another highlight on this with a section called, quote, These were the most targeted books in the United States, close quote. To fix that headline... You might replace in the United States with in our nation's elementary schools, but that would be too honest. It might even raise a yawn. Better the ideas that the books are trying to be banned generally, not just in our schools. The first book on their list, the book always first on these lists, is a book titled Gender Queer. An interesting thing about that book, the essence of which I've read portions about before here, but feel queasy and uncomfortable doing so again or too much, is that It used to be recommended for 12-year-olds. You know how books come with age recommendations? used to be for 12-year-olds. Slowly, from Amazon to Barnes & Noble, the recommended age keeps getting moved higher. And now on some websites, it's said to be for the 18-plus population. If that's true, and if Amazon has no problem saying that as it does now, then what the heck should this book be doing in an elementary school, if its readership should be 18 plus, there aren't a lot of 18 year olds in elementary schools. Again, I'm a little tired of reading excerpts from it, but I can tell you it reads like a script for a pornographic movie complete with instruction and direction. Now, this past week, even Chelsea Clinton is getting in on this, lamenting LGBTQ book bannings on Twitter. As is true for Gender Queer and all the other books on the New York Times list of books most banned in the United States, we need to get something clear here. They aren't banned. You can get them in almost any bookstore, in almost any library, and you can get them within seconds on Kindle, as well as within a day via Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You know what you can't get in libraries and other stores, even for adults? Conservative books, or just common sense books like Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, which opposes changing children's sex. If there is a series of books that are being banned, they're conservative books for general audiences, not just in schools. But let's get this part right, can we? Unavailable in school is not the same as banned. Age inappropriate is not the same as banned. One can access any violent or sex-depicting movie in America almost, but we wouldn't suggest it be shown in elementary schools. In fact, we might even forbid it, and that is not the same thing as banning that movie. It's all available for adults. One wouldn't say cigarettes are banned in the U.S. because they aren't sold in school vending machines, after all, would one? Here's the real tell. Guns are not allowed on school campuses, 
anywhere. And yet Democrats daily want to explicitly ban guns or at least certain types. Unavailable or inappropriate at school does not mean banned. Might we try and keep that straight? But the reason I'm on this in the context of a day celebrating Marxism is this very issue of sexualizing our youth, as well as the norming and conventionalizing of gender dysphoria are all part of the Marxist effort here as well, and obviously starting with our youth. Marxism is not just economic. It's an upturning of a lot of conventions and institutions from the family to the whole point of critical race theory, which is Marxist interpretation and force of racial politics, policies and academics. And now we're seeing it with gender. How do we train the kids in all this? Just as we've been doing. Take the magazine Teen Vogue. It says its main audience is actually pre-teen girls, 10, 11 and 12 year olds. If you go to its website, you will find article after article praising communism. I don't mean ideas one could call communist. I literally mean communism. They make no bones about it. Who is Karl Marx is one story. And aside from the praise of Karl Marx and communism, it interviews teachers on how they teach communism in their classroom, presumably so parents or other teachers might do the same. You get all kinds of lessons from these teachers, including how violence is what gave birth to capitalism. The last paragraph in the article is this, quote, While you may not necessarily identify as a Marxist, socialist, or communist, you can still use Karl Marx's ideas to use history and class struggle to better understand how the current sociopolitical climate in America came to be, close quote. In other words, if the name Marx or the word communist is too hard to swallow or utter, just use and teach the ideas. How do you think it would work if I said, you know, if the word Nazi is too hard, just use Nazi ideas? Well, we don't have to think that way. We've spent a lot of time detailing how much our schools, museums, laws, and other institutions engage in the qualitative dividing of people by race and ethnicity. You might just say that's the first step to making ideas become, shall we say, in vogue. It's not A one-off column, by the way, at Teen Vogue. They have articles praising Vladimir Lenin. They have articles arguing for the abolition of police. Now, in case you thought Teen Vogue was alone, it's not. There's something that reaches even more children. The Cartoon Network, and they've partnered with something called the National Black Justice Coalition to help instruct children not on matters of race per se, but on their own gender. I was going to say sexuality, which would be bad enough, but they go further. In fact, there's here's a tweet from Cartoon Network, 1.4 million Twitter followers, by the way, quote, here's to not only nemo, excuse me, here's to not only normalizing gender pronouns, but respecting them too. whether you use he, she, them or something else. We acknowledge and love you, close quote. By the way, that's for an audience a bit younger than preteens, isn't it? Cartoons are for children half that age after all, aren't they? And by the way, in case you wanted to forgive the Cartoon Network for partnering with an anodyne-sounding organization like the National Black Justice Coalition, you should know it's an organization devoted to and dedicated to, as they tell us, serving primarily lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender LGBTQ plus people. And by the way, the Cartoon Network tweets links to something called the Gender Justice Toolkit. Ironically enough, if you go to that publication... 
It opens up with an encouraging quote from Malcolm X. Now, Malcolm X was many things. A supporter of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender lifestyles was not one of them. Indeed, the Nation of Islam is identified by nearly every left-wing civil rights watchdog group from the Anti-Defamation League to the Southern Poverty Law Center as one of the most anti-LGBTQ organizations in the country. But any militant intersectional revolutionary will do, regardless of consistencies of beliefs, of beliefs right? The irony and misdirection from the gender justice toolkit the Cartoon Network links to It's not really even the essence of the problem. The essence of the problem is that we are instructing our youth in a moral education of some kind. Even as the left will tell red state governors or school boards, they should not be implanting their morality, our morality, in their schools. The first person to condemn moralizing, in other words, does not have the high ground of the argument. And when conservatives or traditionalists push back, It is not we trying to implant our morals into our children. It is our resisting the left trying to do that, the left having initiated it. Because that's what they want, and that's what they want to do, get us through our children, and thus shape a world of adults that results in a revolution taking place without bullets or violence of any kind. It comes to us through patience and pedagogy. And it comes to us with gale force. One may say, as surprised as we are by so much of this, we actually did inherit the wind, which is exactly what Proverbs says will happen when we bring trouble on our own families and households. Happy May Day. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I just had a thought during the break. David, you had mentioned that you heard the advice at your sister's commencement not to be afraid of failure, and I had said there's a version of that, I think, in my usual commencement address, too, and I think it's eminently true that failure is one of the greatest teachers. I mean, it's probably a greater teacher than success. People probably lose learn more from failure than from success, and that's biblical wisdom in a way, too, isn't it? I, uh, If that is considered good advice— And I think it is. Again, not to strive for failure, but, you know, when you lose something, don't lose the lesson, right? Um, If that's good advice, the worst piece of advice, I think, that you get in commencement addresses, and I I, I hope it wasn't at your sister's, but it might have been, the worst piece of advice is to thine own self be true. If one of the best pieces is don't be afraid of failure and one of the worst pieces of advice is to thine own self be true, I wonder if they're paradoxically opposed to each other in their essence. I was just thinking about that during the break. Am I going way too deep here? I don't mean to be. But if you believe, if you're a solipsist, if you, if, if, if you are your greatest guide, if your conscience is your guide, if to thine own self be true really matters to you, Um, and you think you're right all the time, or you think that what you think is more important than anything else, which is kind of a a version of solipsism. I mean, the reason I think to your own self, to thine own self, be true as awful as vice is, you know, what what if you're an addict, or what if you're Adolf Hitler, or Mao Zedong? I mean, I don't want—I think advice should be about suppressing urges and inclinations, um, and— 
and that sort of thing and and conforming to a better a better life and a better rule and a better civic obligation but if to thine own self be true is to be taken seriously you might never think you ever fail you might not recognize failure you may not get that good lesson because you're so steeped in the bad one if you think you're always right and if you think your truth is more important than eminent truth or em- yeah eminent truth you will never recognize failure. You will think everyone else is wrong and you're right. We got into this with Dennis a little bit the other day. We didn't get into it. We, 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 we dilated on it. You know, the notion that everyone else is always wrong and you're always right or your problems are everyone else's fault, it's a big theme for us these days. And if everyone else is wrong and you're not, you'll never accept failure. You'll never accept that you failed or that you got something wrong. Let's put it that way. And it's what I pointed out with Dennis the other night was it's the exact opposite lesson of some of the best kind of recovery programs, which require you to admit your mistakes, which require you to see yourself as the problem, as the beginning of growth, as the beginning of wisdom, as the beginning of recovery. So I think there's something there, there. I think there's, there's something that if to thine own self be true is the worst piece of advice you can give or receive, which is my theory. I, I, I don't know a lot of people who have said that, and I'm open to being challenged on this, but I do think it's awful, awful advice to thine own self be true. If that's the worst or if that's awful advice, then um, learning from failure or don't be afraid to learn from failure or when you fail, make sure you learn from it and accept it as part of life. These, these two things are very, very counterpoised against each other. And you won't get one if you believe the other. You'll either go on through life with the worst advice or you'll give up on that worst advice and become a better human being by recognizing that your truth isn't the truth, you're not always right, and when you make a mistake, there's something to learn from it. When you lose something, don't lose the lesson. I believe that's Ann Landers. Pretty good advice from her. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He is also the host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., the word on wealth. There's a lot of words that need to be said today. John, how are you, man? Hey, how's it going, Seth? I am fine. I'm not sure if our country is. There's just a lot of news in the economy that Frightens a little bit, but you'll calm us down here. Oh, I'll try. Okay. Let's start with the one we woke up to. Jamie Dimon says uh, this part of the banking crisis is over. His bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, bought First Republic. Uh, tell me about that. What do I need to know about that? Well, it was it was interesting because remember last week we talked about this a couple of times during our segments uh, that the bank was uh, moving. The stock had been moving lower. Uh, the report when they came out uh, had some negative um, information in it. Uh, and it certainly didn't bode well for, you know, First Republic. Uh, now, we have to remember, too, that $30 uh, million uh, was put into, or 30, 
Yeah, thirty million dollars, billion dollars. I'm sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was going to say thirty million. Twenty That's years ago, it would have been million. Right, 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 right. <laughs> thirty billion dollars was injected into uh, into First Republic right. last month, and right. that was by a variety of different banks. Uh, but what's interesting is now um, the Fed is actually going to be backing this mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan Chase, who actually took over for. Uh, First Republic at this point. So it's kind of interesting. All the depositors are going to be made whole. Again, mm-hmm. here we go. Uh, and now there's this this talk about how the the FDIC is going to move forward in mm-hmm. the event of any other potential uh, crisis that may occur. Although, as you just mentioned, uh, Jamie Dimon did say that he believes that the worst is over yeah. from what he said. Yeah. he He's the biggest banker in the world, I think, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And Okay, so will there be some complaints about this? I mean, will there be some complaints as far as why does First Republic's uh, investors get bailed out and other people don't get bailed out? Will there be a little bit of that, or is it a too-big-to-fail kind of situation, or is it really a great deal for JP because they're, JP Morgan because they're getting these investors? Yeah. it's All of the above. It's probably, probably – uh, I don't think there will be much in the way of fallout because okay. of it, okay. but I do believe that in this case uh, with – with J.P. Morgan Chase taking this over, it's going to be a big win for them because, yeah. as I said, FDIC is backing all of the loans yeah. and the deposits, yeah. so they really don't have much in the way of uh, liability here. Now, they probably do have to pay some of that money back of that $30 billion that they, uh, you know, they were part of a coalition that put that money in. I'm sure there's some type of a repayment that'll be going back to some of those other banks, but I believe long term this is going to be a win-win for them. And they they get a lot of their investors. They get a lot of the people that were. I, I think that I think that was part of what J.P. Morgan was looking to get was to get some of these yes. depositors that yep. First Republic had. Yes, of course. Which yep. is a, a good list of depositors, evidently. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the downside of of course is if there's going to be any negative loans. Right. But again, if the if the Fed's going to back it, uh, what you know they don't have anything to lose. As long as we're talking about the Fed, this yes. is an interesting. Interesting headline over at the Wall Street Journal. Fed set to raise interest rates to 16-year high and mm-hmm. debate a pause. Yeah, I think this is what many people thought was going to happen, Seth, yeah. uh, that we may get one more quarter-point rate hike. We'll know Wednesday, maybe. And we're going to know, yeah, we're going to know this week we waited. We didn't have any uh, real activity in April, mm-hmm. but uh, now in May we did know that the Fed was going to be meeting. And, and the, the thought was is that they may raise rates another quarter-point at this this time. Of course, we had three major banks fail. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether or not that's going to come into play here or not, I don't know. But we are seeing corporate earnings have been fairly solid. Right. Uh, we're seeing layoffs, though. We're seeing higher unemployment. This this is really um, – It's a weird – yeah, it's a yeah. weird – it's a weird uh, tr- uh, what would you call, moment, I guess. Yes, yeah. yeah, because I think there's a lot out there that probably say, hey, we've already had three major banks right. fail. Why would you – possibly raise rates again at this point why not pause now right right <laughs> but uh it's very possible that we may see this and then at that point maybe we'll start to see some things stabilizing and it will raise borrowing costs there's no absolutely question. Yeah, that's absolutely gonna, it's going to be tough for people i think a little and, the, bit. and the next uh, shoot of drop what they're talking about is the uh not the residential markets but the commercial markets yeah. uh and uh, you know commercial buildings are thinking there's going to be a lot of challenges a lot of these big buildings are up for refinancing 
and they're going to be paying double or triple what their rates were prior. So it's all our growth is really coming in as pretty anemic at best. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. That's another. Yep. Discussion. Maybe we should mm-hmm. talk about that tomorrow and yep. whether we're really in a recessionary time, almost quasi recessionary. Thank you, John. You bet. As always. And Securities and Advisory Services of the Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finman Tippic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Plenty Associates LLC and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. And we had a great time, didn't we, this Oh, last my week? gosh. The pictures on <laughs> Facebook at John Dombrowski's. Yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Thank you to you, you and bet. Tracy for doing that. You bet. Thank you, Seth. You betcha. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. little green hornet there, right? Uh, Herb Alpert? No. Al Hurt, of course, because it was good. Why did I say Herb Alpert? The names are somewhat similar, Al Hurt and Herb Alpert, right? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Rob is in surprise. Hi, Rob. Hi, Seth. I uh, I was surprised that a trumpet player got you a little confused. I I don't know why I had Herb Alpert on. I'll tell you why I had Herb Alpert on my mind. Um, I was discussing with a friend um, uh, that he and Jack Kemp were best buddies in high school earlier today no kidding yeah yeah fairfax How cool high is that? fairfax high school in los angeles jack and herb were best of friends yeah that is very that's cool. why so herb alpert was on my mind yeah herb's still around yeah still around oh yeah yeah unfortunately al's not but um his music lives on yes here if nowhere else um, <laughs> yeah. well, and a few, a few other aficionados places as, as well i'm sure uh, uh, and in new orleans of course uh, 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 um Couple of things I, I mentioned uh, today, but I've got one thing I wanted to mention, and uh, I, I guess I'll mention it first. You know, in May Day, um, uh, it depends on there's, there's different customs with May Day depending on where you live in the world. Um, for some, they call it you know the first day of summer. They also have it uh, as sort of a cross quarter day, halfway between the vernal equinox and the midsummer solstice. Right, um, and, and then you have. The Maypole dances in England. Yes. Dancing around the Maypole. Yes. Um, the Germans and Scandinavians, they have a wall purchase night, which involves bonfires and devil worship, which is kind of scary. Yes. Um, and then, uh, well, then China and Russia, of course, they hold their formal parades, and I guess they may call it Labor Day or something. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting. The most interesting part is that uh, when people toast to May Day, you know, obviously, beer in Germany, Bavaria, all those places, is the primary thing. In Finland, they have something called Zima. I don't even know what that is. Zima? Uh, is that they, the, is that that clear see-through beer? Remember we had that experiment it, here for a while? Maybe. S-I-M-A. Oh, okay. Um, here it was Z-I-M-A. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, in Cornwall, the UK, they, they use cider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, in Wales, they use mead which I always love that word, you know, a round of mead for everybody. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's it funny. is a good word. Now, the, the one thing I did remember was we were talking about to thine own self be true. Yeah. Um, I think one of, one of the problems, and I, I'm, I'm pretty much on your side as opposed to Dennis's, it's hard to know uh, these days from what I can see, especially on the left, what who self is. I mean, you know, whether you can't define what a woman is or whether you're confused about your own gender or, again, depending on the age. I mean, who knew who yourself was when you were below maybe 30 years old? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're dealing with people that 
to thine own self be true, and they don't even know who themselves are. They don't know who they are. That's, they don't know anything. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that was kind of my main point, um, and I'm glad I remembered that part, too. <laughs> oh, also, thank you for the email. Um, I, I didn't know if you took uh, uh, callers. Uh, during a rabbi's visit, I always enjoy listening to him. Oh, he um, he tends to sometimes pre-tape with me just because he's fighting sundown uh, oh, on yeah. Fridays. Uh, sometimes yeah. he's live, but uh, mostly it's taped. Yeah, the the. Uh, but you the guys can always email I... questions. You can always email questions. Yeah, yeah even if they get answered. Ideally, like, ahead of the interview, incredible. not <laughs> after the interview. That's right. No, that was great. I I greatly appreciate sure. that. One thing too. Uh, the, kind of reminded me of was um you know the the old testament itself well the new testament for that matter you have to consider the apostles um there's a lot of violence yes uh, there's a lot of violence going on uh well since cain killed abel uh it goes on today it went on in the old testament uh either well primarily against the, the israelites uh and then also the israelites did their share um but i think the big difference you ever was, read the book of Joshua? Well, yeah. Well, Joshua and, and the walls of Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of violence. Yes, no question. Yeah. Like the whole Well, Ecclesiastes itself says there's a time for war and a time for peace, right? That's, that's exactly right. But I, I think, you know, when people, they start, and usually, again, the left uh, starts talking about, you know, well, it's not very Christian of you. Well, uh, first of all, you know, the Old Testament, which... Is, forms the basis for both Judaism and Christianity, and to some degree even Islam, I guess, and in some parts in terms of prophets. Um, human nature is always going to have its violent side, so you're, you're going to have to learn to either temper it or know wh- what God's purpose is in performing acts of violence or preventing acts of violence. Yeah, I I have always thought, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this. I'd like to think I'm not wrong. I've always kind of thought of violence as a bit like money. It's not inherently good or bad. It's what you do with it, what its purpose is used for. That's right. When you push a woman, when you push a woman, an elderly woman, are you pushing her in front of a bus or out of the way of a bus? That's the question, you know? Yeah. If you're yeah. bombing a city, is it the German bombing of London or is it London's uh, response and bombing Germany in retaliation? There's a difference. Exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. It's like who started it. <laughs> but but I think that's that's definitely food for thought and and it should be noted I think for most well thinking people that um, you know to think that there won't be any more wars uh, is, is foolish, and again, these are the same people who don't know who they are uh, in terms of themselves being true. Um, I think that's all I have for you, Seth, today. Uh, happy Monday. Well, <laughs> happy Monday to you too, Rob. Thank you. I, um, I There's a point at which uh, today I wanted to uh, get into something that uh, was on NBC this weekend, Meet the Press. I would not have normally watched it. I stopped watching Meet the Press once it became more of a debating show for the host than an interview. But there was an amazing thing uh, with Vivek uh, Ramaswamy's um, interview with um, Chuck Todd. I'll get to that in a moment. First, let's talk to Mike in Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. How's things? Things are well. How about yourself? I am doing excellent, if that 
wind would maybe abate a little bit. It'd be like oh, is it still blowing wind. hard out there? Is it still a blustery day, or are we still expecting Mary Poppins? Yeah, well, as we say down here, the wind doesn't blow; it sucks. <laughs> but, it, but yeah, it's still. I, I got to do a there. quick commercial break. You want to hold a moment? We'll come back to you, Mike. I, I can do that. All right. I appreciate you. Right. I do have a break here. Right, David? Yes. I'm Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. How do you think the Biden administration's handling things economic from uh, the bank issues to the stock market volatility? It looks like uh, we're on our way towards a recession. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? Why Refi has that investment for you. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is based here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on the corner of 101 and Scottsdale Road. I've been there. I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. And when you meet with the team there, you'll see why I trust and like them so much as well. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10 and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Mike in Maricopa, thanks for your patience, sir. Oh, it's quite all right, Seth. I thank you for your time. The uh, number one, I, I'd like to talk about this shooting that occurred on Friday in Texas. Yeah. But before I go there, I just want to say thank you very much for having Quan, Representative Quan on last week and uh, talking about his plight and escape from Vietnam. Juan Wynn is an amazing American. He is the chairman of our House Judiciary Committee, and thank you for liking it, Mike. Thanks for saying that. He is a great human being, just a great human being. Yes, absolutely, especially when you get it from a first-person account. It's yep. not like something you heard from somebody, That's heard right. from somebody, read it in a book. But uh, on, on this deal, I noticed how this story is not necessarily taking the track. Uh, <laughs> this is, has to do with the uh, the shooting in uh, uh, Texas. There was something, and it was interesting. Somebody had called in, or they were on the Sebastian Gorka's uh, broadcast today, and uh, uh, they said that th- this is a deal they call a colonia in Texas, and it has about 20,000 people. They've gone into this forest and clear-cut it, and uh, it's not like it's houses. It's kind of like shanty town shacks and stuff like that, uh, duplicating what they were. And I noticed how the this information that just kind of is dribbled out because at first I got the impression that all the people involved were from Honduras, then this story changed. It was just the victims were from Honduras. And then now it was finally today, I finally heard that uh, this shooter, I heard somebody say that he had been deported five times. Yes, that's right. Four times. Yes. And uh, I hear the music, but uh, I guess there's a lot of gang cartel activity. Yes, yes, yes. And And I need to get into it a little bit, Mike, and I will do so. But that's right. He came to America illegally, got deported, came again illegally, got deported, came illegally again, got deported, came illegally again and got deported, came illegally again once more and got deported, then came again illegally and massacred a family. But the border is secure, Mike. The border is secure. And we're serious about crime. I'll I'll cover more of it. You bet. Thanks, brother.